Welcome back to Let's Talk About Skills, Baby, the podcast where we discover what skills can help you live your best life. I am your host, Kelly Ryan Bailey, and each week I chat with inspiring visionaries about the skills that make them successful. You'll get a firsthand account of how they develop those skills, as well as their innovative approaches to improving skills-based hiring and learning around the world. Now, let's talk about skills, baby. This week, I'm joined by Mark Sparville. Thank you so much for joining us, Mark. Cheers. (laughs) Let me really quick introduce Mark. Mark is an award winner educator with over 25 years experience leading improvement for schools, systems, higher ed, and professional associations. In his current role, he partners directly with researchers, education leaders, and organizations globally to identify innovative leading and teaching practice building community, and capacity by leveraging digital solutions. Mark has taught both pre-service and post-graduate studies in universities in Australia and the U.S. Mark has been the host of monthly What's in EDU YouTube channel, the Teaching Happiness web series, and a frequent presenter at executive briefings, conferences, and international keynotes. Mark is an expert on the role of technology and social and emotional intelligence in education contexts and leads a lively online community on Facebook on social and emotional learning. I'll make sure I provide the uh, link to that. It is a great community. He is also an advisor to Mind Up and patron of the Emotional Intelligence Society of Australia. In addition, Mark is a Salzburg Global Seminar Fellow and member of BET Global Education Council, steering committee member for Karanga, and he also writes for Forbes on their communication council. Thanks for letting me gush on you there for a moment. I'm exhausted listening to it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, sometimes we just need to recognize these wonderful accomplishments we've had, and I am in awe and inspired by the work that you do, so really greatly appreciate it. Awesome, thanks. I mean, as a, you know, I've always been driven, passionate by education, by learning, uh, by how organisations learn and how individuals learn, you know, with a view that when we look at the purpose of schooling and education, not as places where people just learn stuff, but where society is created and recreated, you know, that's the stuff that's kind of exciting to get out of bed every day. What can we do to empower every learner on the planet to achieve more? Oh, yes, that's exactly the same way that I think of things as well. Well, before we dive into your work, Mark, I'd really love to share about your history and how you got into this. It's always fascinating to me how, you know, people's passion in life turns into something more. So I've spent 30 years working in in education. I'm really passionate about regional and remote settings for education. I've been a teacher. Uh, I've managed the technology of schools, deputy, principal, director, working across large schools and small schools but always had this kind of, this passion, this like two strands of DNA I've been interested in. One strand was around what's the promising role that technology can play in education. But the other strand was always around values and ethics. So it's not what you know that's important. It's what you do with what you know. And the aim of the game isn't to develop second-class robots. It's to develop first-class humans. So across my career, what I've essentially done is pulled these threads together, ethics, values, learning, learning science, even philosophy, and 
technology as an enabler, as an expander, as an explorer to humanise the learning, not just to digitise content, if you like. And interestingly, along that way, that's propelled a career forwards in terms of leadership in education. And then I moved to a professional association focused on school leadership across Australia and Southeast Asia on professional learning design for school leaders, recognising that if you want changes to happen in classrooms, teachers are wonderful, we're great people, but you need to have leaders who have their capacity built around what matters most. Is it skills? Is it knowledge? Is it competencies? Is it dispositions? And then along that way, it picked up various sort of awards and recognition. So seven years ago, Microsoft lured me over. Thank you, Microsoft, from Australia to Seattle in Washington State to take on a job in their education team. My focus is on systems and system leaders and also on this curious title of thought leadership, which when I boil that down is really always to go back to, you know, what's the truth here? What is it that the profession is orienting itself towards? What does the research and evidence say around what matters most right now in education? As I said before, for both employment, for civic participation, and also social cohesion, what matters most? And and how do we, in terms of products or programs or approaches, how do we best provide the support and the leadership at times needed for education systems across the globe? to be able to be the best version of themselves and achieve the goals that they see as being critical for their countries and regions. I think I'm, what I'm hearing is that you being able to join an organization like Microsoft is really allowing you to scale these thoughts that you had. I'm the luckiest guy in the world and forever grateful. The good thing is there was this kind of values alignment. Definitely the dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Mark, is there some point in this journey of yours where SEL, social emotional learning, really just grabbed you yeah if i go back to an interview i did a couple of weeks ago when somebody said so microsoft has been you know big into social and emotional learning the process by which we develop those specific skills for a couple of years now i kind of said well longer than that curiously you know when i started in the company we we built out a, a framework for whole school and whole system transformation called the education transformation framework and this was eight years ago and we've used that across the planet to help whole systems improve themselves, uh, reimagine themselves. And one of the critical components in there has always been social and emotional skills. It's always been a part of that we've recognised that in order to improve a system, whether it's a digital strategy or seeking to improve a cultural shift, shifting teacher practice, whatever, it's an interdependent piece of whole system improvement and that you need to consider and consider really carefully because as we know emotions are the gatekeeper to motivation to cognition and attention they are the contributing factor to personal success to organizational success to health to well-being to productivity as an inoculation against uncertainty and ambiguity and stresses in life they must be considered and you know, we did some research a couple of years ago with McKinsey and company, the class of 2030 and life-ready learning, not college-ready learning, not work-ready learning, but life-ready learning. Yep. We looked at those high-performing education systems across the globe, and certainly there were commonalities around content areas because content's knowledge is important. 
But what was also interesting was they were very clear that this was as important. The status of these skills was equal to your math skills. Funnily enough, they're all sitting in the high performing because, you know, there's no surprise. If, if you want to collaborate, you know collaboration is important. Everybody talks about it. It's, as I would say to pre-service teachers, collaboration is more sophisticated than sharing a pencil pot. <laughs> that's, that's sharing. Right. And taking turns is not collaboration. Right. You know, collaboration is complex. It, it involves ultimately making substantive decisions which are interdependent, right? That's complicated. And But to collaborate and you, you take it from a social and emotional learning perspective, in order to collaborate, you need to be able to self-regulate and you've got to be able to navigate that social context and self-regulate in order to participate. Mm-hmm. To self-regulate, you've got to be self-aware. Like you've got to know what you're doing, how you're feeling, how your emotions are affecting yourself, but also how they may be perceived by others. You need to be, as Professor Brackett says from Yale Centre for Emotional Intelligence, you need to be an emotion detective. And in order to have that self-awareness, you actually need to have a vocabulary to be able to accurately recognise, understand, label, express um, your emotional state. It's really fascinating to see how really what most people focus on being like the academic side of learning, when you realize that it's actually their emotional awareness and their feelings and their confidence and their self-esteem that change how they come prepared that day at any point in time. And that's just as a child age, but I look at now when you're describing this from adults, like I know in my generation, we were a very, let's say tough love (laughs) in education, right? Like it was very much like, this is the way education happens. This is the only way we're teaching. If you fall behind, that's it. And it's when you, so when you see in a workplace, I don't know if this is right, like every generation, I'm curious your thoughts on this in the US versus out of the US, right? But when I think about collaboration now in the workplace, when we haven't been, you know, the focus on those types of skills did not happen in our early education. And and quite frankly, did not happen at any point in my education um, until I decided to go after that myself. And so when you think about people in the workplace, like how are they able to come ready to collaborate when their natural instinct is like competition? I need to win. (laughs) Yeah, no, this is very true. And when you consider, you know, we're now experiencing up to five generations in the workplace, working alongside one another, Mm -hmm. each bringing different skills, different values based upon the historical or context in which they grew up mm-hmm. and experienced. So, you know, some certainly, yeah, hardwired for independent, authoritative competition mode. And then you get this other group coming through who are, you know, hardwired for thinking out loud, rapid iteration, creative, project-based, have come through education systems where voice choice and agency yes. have been the way that they've become empowered to learn and then maybe drop into an organisation which operates in a hierarchy. But it's different for employers now. You know, the market is for the right employees with the right skill set and mindset. You want to attract them, you want to retain them, and you obviously want to train them to get the best out of them. But you will also, beyond that, you want to lever off the inherent values that they bring. You know, I say in education, we know we've got a crisis, right? We know that across 2030, the decade of 2030 globally, 
we need up to 69 million additional teachers globally. Yeah. On average, by the end of their second year out teaching, 40% are thinking of leaving the profession and yeah. 10% have already decided to leave the profession. What are some of those reasons? I'm just curious. It is interesting because, you know, teaching varies wildly across the globe in terms of its status within countries. But the research is reasonably stable around that drop-off rate um, from Japan to Australia. It's about that amount, right, for the drop-off, which is interesting. And a study done by a university in South Australia uh, a couple of years ago was published sort of suggested it's not what happens in the classroom. It's what happens in the staff room. And again, it comes back to that voice choice and agency. If you take this notion that as humans, we want some pretty basic things. We want to be seen, we want to be heard, and we want to have a sense of control. Seen, heard, have a sense of control. In education, we talk about voice and choice and agency, but it's the same sort of thing. So particularly for young teachers entering the profession, again, as I said before, they've you know, they've had an expectation of a way of learning and being that is very empowered. And when they find themselves in employment situations, whether it's in education or in the industry, where they do not have a sense of voice, choice or agency, seen, heard and matter, they're not going to be prepared to stick out of that the way previous generations were because there are other options Right. for them. So the research on teachers was very much around it's the micro-political context of the school. You know, do I feel I have any control? Um, mm-hmm. Do I feel like this is work with purpose? Uh, generally, these early career teachers are very values-driven. Uh, they have high expectations. Um, so one of the things we dug into was what are their aspirations? Yes. What are their expectations? And then what are their experiences? So Mm -hmm. this was another piece called the Staff of 2030 that I I kind of led with the Economist Intelligence Unit. We were really interested in those teachers who are about to leave teacher college. Mm -hmm. What do they think? What do they feel? And what do they anticipate? And then we caught up with teachers who were two years into their practice, right at that that drop-off zone, if you like, and asked them similar questions around, so what's it been like? What's your experience? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it came back to, again, not to do with the classroom, to do with, and then you've got COVID thrown in. You've got people who, who have found a mismatch between their expectations and their aspirations and their lived experiences. Mm. And that's interesting because I was talking to a developmental molecular biologist the other day about what the brain likes and doesn't like. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about COVID particularly, but this applies to any form of kind of a stress tension that we mm-hmm. might experience, say, for these young teachers. What he said to me was, he said, hey, you know, the brain, actually at a molecular level, it's kind of cool with stress. It doesn't mind it. It doesn't like it for long periods of time. But then he paused and he said, well, the brain doesn't like being out of control. Ah, that makes so much sense. (laughs) And when you go back to what I said earlier about voice choice agency, to Mm -hmm. be seen, to be heard and have some control, the brain just does not like ambiguity. It does not like uncertainty. It does not like feeling it's not in the right place, Mm -hmm. that it can't manage the situation. As soon as it's in that, the brain at a molecular level, apparently, it feels not good and it starts to then trigger all those physiological and psychological triggers oh yeah and freeze response 
Mm -hmm. I think all of us can probably think back to a moment in our life where our brain did that, you know, so like I can think back to the, throughout the time of when I was having children and the children were young and I was trying to navigate my life of like, okay, how do I do this and do this and do this all at the same time? And yeah, there was a moment where like my brain was like, okay, we're done. <laughs> lack of control uh, or perceived lack of control will do that. And again, this is why, you know, social and emotional learning matters so much because mm -hmm. one of those key bits, which is self-awareness, you know, yeah. awareness of self, not just, oh, am I feeling happy today? Yes, tick. That's not what it's about. You know, that self-awareness around my strengths, my capabilities, specific strategies to allow me to reframe how I'm viewing situations in the world, right. being able to take a, you know, a different perspective on a scenario to start to convince my brain at a subconscious level that there is control within here. Yes. Um, that, and, you know, it's interesting when you look at what's happened, you know, as a result of COVID across this year and you think about that as a traumatic event and you think about as that ripples out, where people have got a sense of control and in education land, you know, we would call that efficacy, yeah. uh, a sense that you have the capability, the skills and the support in order to affect change. Mm -hmm. And it matters so much right now. It does. It really does. Hi everyone, this is Sari from the Skills Baby team, and I'm here to tell you about the upcoming events that Skills Baby is hosting in the coming weeks. We're going to be diving deeper into the future of work and the future of education, which in other words, is the future of skills. If you want to be a part of the conversation, head to skillsbaby.com events to register. We would love to have you. I also want to hear a little bit more about the foundation, um, Goldie Hawn's foundation that you're working with now. Yeah. So MindUp, the foundation that Goldie Hawn's set up um, a long time ago, like I think 17 or 18 years wow. ago, to explore mindfulness. This was back when it was largely still seen as a kind of a, like a novelty thing that maybe people who like to burn incense and do yoga. I was going to say, I feel right. like it was like the, we, we all were like, it's the hippies. I was in that group of people. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, absolutely. I remember being in, uh, in schools back then, bumping into the Mind Up program. And so I was intrigued by Mind Up back then. And Fast forward, obviously, I'm interested in emotional intelligence, social and emotional learning. I've been aware that it's been a program. Earlier on this year, we touched base and uh, hopped on a call with, with Goldie and her team, Carrie, and just wondered whether Microsoft, because we've had such a strong focus on social and emotional learning for the last seven years and certainly right. heightened that in the last three years, wondered whether we might collaborate on a five-part series, mm -hmm. specifically on mindfulness, given the context right now and bring in some experts to to chat with Goldie and to chat with, with other hosts around this topic. So that's what we kicked off, five-part series. I, Goldie and I co-hosted the, the second one, which was specifically on remote learning. So there's learning between the class. How do we humanise the learning experience? How do we attend to the social and emotional needs of young people so they feel more connected in their engagements? Microsoft did some research with the Economist Intelligence Unit two years ago called Emotion Cognition in the Age of AI. 
all of this research isn't tied to using Microsoft tools and products, although they're all fabulous and we've got plenty. But the research is sort of situated at that, that level that mm-hmm. we engage in the research and then we give it away because at the end of the day, for, for us, we're going to be better and stronger if we've got employees and consumers and even competitors mm-hmm. who, you know, have got certain skills and knowledge but also dispositions and capabilities and mindsets around you know how we approach work ethically mm-hmm. and responsibly and creatively and innovatively and all of these are tied to social and emotional dimension but the research um, emotion cognition in the age of ai certainly found that social and emotional learning programs or approaches are most impactful when they're naturally embedded and infused through culture through the way we do things at our school or our institution Mm -hmm. they can be programmatic that there runs a risk that it becomes disconnected kids don't like hypocrisy in fact adults don't like hypocrisy we'll learn it from people you're going to find amazing leaders who get that skills matter that get that cognitive skills matter, social and emotional skills matter, critical knowledge matters, um, mindset matters, and then you'll find that lived through the staff that they've worked with and built capacity with. And then not surprisingly, you'll sit in classes like I do all of the time and go, I just want to stay here all day. Yep. And it's not that it's easy. It's really hard. In fact, you know, one of the things that I think is the greatest kind of a misname is when people talk about soft skills because they're a lot harder to learn, they're a lot harder to apply, and they're hard, unfortunately, to measure, which is what their greatest challenge is, is because you can't really easily measure that on a standardised test. No. And we know that, unfortunately, we treasure what we measure. So there's a challenge, right? It is. That's like literally what I focus my efforts on right now, Mark. <laughs> it's like, how do we get to the crux of that? Because it's like a miscommunication when we talk about what people have versus what they can show. That's the hardest part. And this is why I'm such a big proponent of social emotional learning, you know, starting at the young ages, of course, but like continuing this as a lifelong process and having this in the workplace, because the thing is that it changes how you act at home. And we need to figure out a way to like get this embedded in our culture throughout everything, because it's also something that I've noticed, like you can't just learn it at one point and put it down. There are like micro habits that you do every day like meditation or prayer or reflection or whatever the things are. Everyone has various tools that they go about to handle this, but it's not like riding a bike really. And it's not, it's not trivial or frivolous. You know, it's newly important for more people. When I was talking to a a kindergarten teacher, so teachers, three and four year olds, and I said, well, what does it look and sound like this stuff for you? She said, well, at the end of every day, before the parents collect them, we do two leaves and a bud. And I said, Tell me about that. She said, well, they have to talk about the two leaves, which are two things across the day which, you know, help them grow, help them feel good, good stuff. The bud is something they're looking forward to tomorrow, right? That's the bud. When you think about the 
what's happening with that kind of mindset shift at the end of the day? I mean, every adult should do that, right? Like completely. Those exercises, that's like the most important part of my day. I know. (laughs) It's also putting in place a a very intentional sort of positive mind shift. And of course, those little kids, those four-year-olds go into their car and mum or dad or their care or a significant adult says, how was kindy? These kids have just had that in their head and they go, well, today, you know, Bethany was really kind to me and, you know, Kelly smiled at me in the line and tomorrow, you know, I'm hoping to use the blocks. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. And and not just like a smile, right, because they say that, you know, and this is like a funny thing that's happening with masks right now, right, but they just say just like a smile, it's infectious, right? So if your child comes out of school and they're excited and they're happy and they're looking forward to like that also changes you just like a smile would to anyone else. Yeah, no, you're right. And, you know, again, it doesn't discount that the child has fallen over, scraped their knee. And at one point somebody took their crayons and they were sad, but what it, things like that do is it just cleverly brings in the balance. Emotion literally means to be in motion, you know, and, even though for individuals, especially for children, uh, but for adults too, we can feel at any time how we feel is how we've always felt and how we'll always feel. You know, I'm sad, I'm always going to be sad. I'm depressed, I'm always going to be depressed. Um, This is clinical depression. I'm not going to go there. But, you know, I'm happy, I'm always going to be happy. It's not the case. All emotions matter and serve a purpose in that quadrant of emotions from pleasant to unpleasant, from low energy, I'm feeling content, to high energy, I'm excited. They all matter and they all serve a purpose. The challenge is to be able to recognize where you are. And if you want to shift from right. one state to another state, to actually have a strategy to do it. And that's where the learning sits in that I'm feeling this way. I'm feeling a bit disillusioned, poorly motivated at work. I know that. I know how it's affecting how I approach tasks. I don't want to feel ecstatic. That's too ambitious. <laughs> But I would like to feel a bit more motivated. So like how do what's I get in from my toolbox here? over here <laughs> to, that I know yeah, I can who, pull from? <laughs> yeah, what, what or even who is in my toolbox? And, you know, that might help me reframe, rethink, reimagine the task, reach out, reorganize it, do something, maybe just have a brain break, maybe do some breathing practice, or maybe it's a matter of hopping on a call with Kelly and saying, hey, you've been in this position, what's worked for you? Right. No, and it's so true. While we're on tools though, I wanted to leave one last moment for two things. One being, I know there are some tools that you've been working on with Microsoft. I've seen the announcements come out that I'd love for you to have a moment to just quickly chat about. And then the second piece is, I wanted to leave you space to give sort of like your parting thoughts. It's a completely open-ended what do you feel like you want to leave us with? So a couple of things. One of the things that we, we talk about a lot is what are the new future-ready skills? You know, in the past, largely that agenda has been really focused around what are the technical skills to the digital economy? When we talked about future-ready skills, you know, rightly or wrongly, that seemed to be oriented around that. And certainly our own research from the class of 2030 and, and others and research by the you know, OECD and World Economic Forum, everybody, has certainly been nodding that the new future-ready skills are this kind of intersection between, sure, those technical skills for the digital economy, it's booming, 
they're going to make you employable, but they're also a collection of these higher cognitive functions, executive functions, the ability to synthesize and analyze, you know, beyond literacy and numeracy. Plus also there's the third pillar, the social and emotional skills that we know are the ones which supercharge the rest and add, if you like, purpose and passion to the work that we do. So on the, the technical piece, one of the things that we released recently was the Microsoft Learn for Students. I'll call it a program, but basically it's a collection of self-paced digital resources to build skills and foundational understanding in technology. Students can develop skills on technologies like cloud, artificial intelligence, data science, mm -hmm. really interesting cognitive services. They can experience sort of popular university courses. But the bit I think is really cool is they can learn to use tech skills for good. So mm -hmm. there's a, you know, there's an AI for good component that, that students can get engaging for free, track wild polar bears with AI and classify endangered bird species and do all sorts of things within there. So wow. the Microsoft Learn program addresses that chunk. Okay. Plus also, and I'm sure you've got the link, the social and emotional piece is the piece that we've got probably equally an equally expansive amount of resources for drawn mm. from experts, packaged up research programs, courseware on the Microsoft Educator Centre for free, mind ups on demand courseware mm. which I, I i think is really interesting that you know that, that we've kind of got these offerings if you like that can help you know not the full solution right. but educators uh, and parents are working with students to go great we know we need technical skills for the digital economy can we get some stuff to help yes is it free yes is it across all platforms yes need some stuff to help really better understand what's going under the hood when yep. it comes to motivation, distraction management, attention. Mm -hmm. There's some stuff here. And in fact, specific parent courses are coming out, I think in January. Great. I've been working with the group that are developing it specifically for parents and caregivers around social and emotional learning. And like then, of course, then, of course, you've got the, you know, the, you know, the, the other pieces of the pillar. But I just wanted to flag that, you know, specific social and emotional support, specific support through Microsoft Learn for building those important skills. Because at the end of the day, you know, we want young people to be able to, to get a job, to keep a job, or to create a job. Because, exactly. you know, we know that ultimately, if we want young people to be active and informed citizens who are capable of making ethical and responsible decisions and contributing purposefully and positively to society you know they need this beautiful blend of these new futuring skills uh, that is absolutely wonderful now i know this wasn't your last parting thoughts but it was so lovely so <laughs> but well, <I> could be. <laughs> but no i'm i'm happy if if you would also like to share anything else with our guests or our listeners excuse me just for just to end us off, let me know. <laughs> yeah, look, absolutely. I mean, one thing is a shameless plug, I would say. I, I, I founded a group, uh, a Facebook group on social and emotional learning. It is social and emotional learning in education, but it actually crosses into business, academic life, and family life. And it's grown exponentially. We're about eight and a half thousand people strong now. It's moderated to keep out any distracting content. And I would just say to anybody that's interested in 
you know, in pursuing, finding out more, getting great contacts and also contributing to, to join that group. Because as I, I said earlier, right at the very start, you know, I work for Microsoft. We see that the greatest potential for technology in education is to humanise learning and not just to digitise curriculum. You know, how do we develop first-class humans, not second-class robots? We know that AI and automation is going to have an impact on, on employment and industry. And um, we know that the very qualities that make us most human will be most in demand now and into the near future. So they're the things that matter most to shape. Completely. And it is a fantastic group. So I highly suggest taking a look at it. Mark, thank you again so much for all of this time that you've given us today. For those of you that would like to follow Mark, he is available on Twitter at Sparvel. Like you said, also that Facebook group, which is um, Social and Emotional Learning and Education. I'll make sure that when this goes out on social, we have a link. And then more information about Microsoft Education is at microsoft.com slash education. So definitely go and check all of that out, those fabulous free resources. Mark, again, thank you. I look forward to continuing to get to know your work and chatting with you. And I hope everyone out there has a wonderful day. You've been listening to Let's Talk About Skills, Baby, a Growth Network podcast production. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your community. Ratings, reviews, and suggestions are great sources of feedback and always appreciated. And please reach out and connect with me on social at Kelly Ryan Bailey. I'd love to meet you and continue the conversation. We'll be back next week with a new episode. So until then, keep growing your skills and have a great day.